Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Say it. Say what you have to no, say. I'm, well, the problem is this. I haven't seen the movie that you really need me to have seen by now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so you can't talk I'm about it. Screaming to the heavens. You can't talk no! about it. No. <laughs> you'll you be denied. have to come down here. <laughs> I'm oh. so sorry about that. I really, I deeply am, I'm deeply sorry. I deeply am sorry. We of course I are sorry, talking deeply about am. bad grandpa, <laughs> <laughs> which also looks awesome in a really different way. We're talking about gravity, and I have not seen it. I've been I I've been really busy at times when I would have otherwise gone to see this movie, and so that's the unfortunate part. Now the, there is there is worse news that I have to deliver you related to movies that I have watched. <laughs> It is uh, so much worse, and I, now I know that this is going to... I'm about to defile our relationship by what I tell you here. I don't want to know. You went and saw... What, uh, what did I didn't you see? go see anything, because the only time I had to watch movies for the last you know week has been you know late, late at night, early, early in the morning, after you know after I finish work, I'm teaching, I'm grading. It's just right. that. I hear so you. So I've been working through... I've been working through some series as... as Oh, oh, okay. That I had not seen in order or in their entirety, nor in the theaters. Okay. And I think you even told me that I should probably see these and just to check them off the list. And so I feel like I was doing a little bit of a good deed. Okay. I saw all, I watched, <laughs> I watched all the Fast and Furious movies and all the Twilight movies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Go but I don't it. have time to that's go like, see Gravity. I, I know. That's like nine movies. <laughs> I'm too busy to see that. <laughs> I have not seen Fast and Furious 6. That's but coming I'll watch, in December. But I'll watch the two-part Twilight finale. <laughs> you know, the I think it was the first, maybe it was the the third Twilight movie. Was New it, Moon. Yeah, New Moon. I think maybe it was New Moon that was a stretch two for me. <laughs> every other movie that i watched in this series they were all they they that was that was the high bar of all nine movies that i watched this week. wow i could wow. you know i could see i could see you know ranking some of the fast and furious higher just because of the of the car car right. which were which were entertaining and exhilarating and but how many times how many, how many times <laughs> do you hear the you know dumb take it to the streets <laughs> Dom, we gotta settle this like men on the streets. <laughs> Toretto fantastic. Toretto, nothing beats American muscle. Toretto. 
<laughs> and then uh, for family movie night, because you know, I don't know how that is with you guys, uh, where, where you are in your neck of the woods. Yeah, we do our family movie do nights. Have, we're, but, we're still... But, is it, but it's Thursday night right now. And so do you have school tomorrow? Do your kids have school? Yes. Okay, why, so the why entire would, state why would of Oregon. Not? The yeah, entire state. No, the entire state. Everything is on one of those teacher development days. I, I'm actually not true, sure if that's the entire state. But that means today's a fake Friday. So we did our movie night tonight. Oh, okay. Since everybody has a day off tomorrow. And you know what we picked? Which also we skipped in the theater. Monsters University. Oh, which is probably okay to have skipped. <laughs> I'm, I'm not lying to you. We quite enjoyed this film. It was, it's not bad. It was not, not up bad. to the standard of the original, but we quite enjoyed it. We had we laughed. We didn't cry, but we laughed a lot and thought it was charming and clever. And the music was not as good as the, that was the big thing I missed was, and it was still uh, Randy Newman. He just yeah. wasn't on top of his game. No, it was kind of made for uh, straight to DVD sort of feel. I yeah, thought. I mean, it's, it's, it's enjoyable enough. It's harmless, you know. It's one of those. harmless. Yeah, for a monsters movie, it shouldn't be harmless. No, you're probably right. But we we quite enjoyed it as a yeah. family movie. The kids were on. It. They they bought the seat, but they only needed the edge. Oh, wow! You've used that twice. I know, like, right? Month. That's well, you know. I I actually, if uh, that's only been recorded twice, I use it. I use it about every seven, about every seven minutes, just in, oh, gotcha. in speech. Uh, I'm gonna find a new. I don't know what my uh, November sort of my Thanksgiving seasonal catchphrase is gonna be. I'm still working working on it. I can't wait. Um. So so in the time that it took you to see one movie in IMAX 3D. Yes. That was, as I gather, terrific. It, it I, I was have seen terrific. Ten that were not. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven, well, if you count the movie that I watched this week for the show that we're doing tonight. Well, all I can say is bully. We are, uh, welcome to the next reel, everybody. We are here to talk about movies tonight. We're uh, we're still continuing our romantic comedy series for the month of October. Very fitting. And uh, yeah, we like to talk about movies. We like to spoil movies. And you can visit us on our website, thenextreel.com. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenextreel. And you can go over to iTunes. You know, we really want some more reviews over on iTunes. It's it's a great way for other people to to find us by getting reviews and ratings over on iTunes. So we'd love it if everybody listening could run over to iTunes and give us a review and a rating. It does help. It, you know, increases the whatever in their <laughs> The analytics, secret iTunes analytics. It helps kind of bump us up so other people can find the show. And That's exactly right. We love it when people find the show. So there you go. But yeah, we're we're kind of all over the place. We, we're uh, kind of getting our uh, about page over on our uh, thenextreel.com uh, cleaned up so that people can find our our Pinterest and our Facebook and our Instagram and all of those places. Letterboxd and Flickchart. We're all over the place. We're all over the place. Um, we've got. Uh, let's see. Today is what is today? It's it's, it's in the. It's in the, uh, yeah, that's Steve Sarmento, you know, he's a talented, uh, writer on film. He's been quiet of late. 
We need he to. Has been I, I miss. Well, I am missing a new Sarmento post. He's uh, yeah. He's reveling in the family time. It's it's fall break. No, it's good. No, it's good. He needs a break. He works too hard anyway. <laughs> he does. He does. Uh, so. Uh, what do you? I, how how do we approach this conversation about this silly gravity film that you're so excited about? Well, wait, we do just we even get to talk about it? Do we just have to we wait? Don't even, we don't even get to talk about it. The only thing I'm going to say is go see it in IMAX 3D as soon as you can. I want to go see it a second time in IMAX 3D. There's no true IMAX screen in my area that's actually playing it. Um, so it's on all the Limaxes though. So go see it on the Limax near you. Okay. But it's it's well worth it. And for somebody who, you know, I, I always, for the most part, I usually enjoy 3D. And if you go to, you know, our favorite 3D website, realorfake3d.com, you'll see that this is actually uh, a fake 3D film. It was shot in 2D, and then they converted it to 3D. But if you think about it, that's because the only thing they were really shooting were the actors in, you know, mostly green screen sets. And then they basically created all of the environment so in a large part uh, in a large way it very much feels fully 3d just like you know any animated or cg film feels okay i'm you know i'm it's not that i'm not excited about it you should know that first oh i know i'm not sure that you do you're holding a grudge a little bit okay well uh okay shall we do some trailers well, before we do, no, I just I want don't want to do trailers either. <laughs> I don't either. Skip it. Be- before we do, I just wanted to uh, uh, sh- give shout outs to the two oh, people who yeah. won the last two rounds of our Instagram Guess the Movie Challenge. If you go over to Instagram and follow us, we do a. I try to post a picture every day on Instagram, uh, maybe two pictures um, of a movie, and wait for somebody to figure out what they're from. So last time we chatted, nobody had quite guessed it, but Jenny, uh, I think it's Lavelle, Level. came in Level, Level came in right at the last minute and guessed that it was in fact almost famous. So congratulations to Jenny. And then this last week, um, Mike Evans actually was able to figure <laughs> it out that the images were all coming from Strictly Ballroom. So kudos to Mike. No one else got Strictly Ballroom. That's what you know. She's a Magiza. I'm not sure who what her name is, but that's her her username. She yeah. did figure out. Uh, she actually threw out one of the character names, so she knew what the movie was. She just didn't say it. She said, "Is that uh, Tina Sparkle?" And, and a matter of fact, Tina Sparkle is in the film. Fantastic. So we had a couple. I people. didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know how how to play it because I'm. You know, I see myself as sort of an insider, and I got it. But you're I didn't like a say government anything. employee playing the lottery. I'm. <laughs> Even that's when exactly the government right. is shut down, you still can't play the lottery. I, I, that's right. That's right. I have the privilege to, to pay to actually go to work. Is what you're that's, saying. That's I'm right. on furlough. That's right. That's so. This is terrible. Can you believe where we are? <laughs> the straits of this. Uh, All right. I, yeah. That's um, why we don't talk politics. Yeah, on this no, show, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> it was just. No we should uh, now. Can we talk trailers? Now let's I'm, talk trailers. I want to go first. You go first because I want to get it I over did with. This, <laughs> I did this for you. Oh, you're sweet. You're I a sweetie. Wanna, you know the thing about uh, Lars von Trier. I uh, I don't I. I don't really like anything that he's. 
<laughs> that he's done. I really don't. I, you know, I did. I did what I was supposed to do. I saw Melancholia, his, his most recent one, and uh, you know, I've taken, uh, I, I've taken some photographs that have been kindly compared to Lars von Trier. This is very kind. So, if, whoever is listening, who said that, I, I find myself attracted sometimes to the visuals of Lars von Trier, but generally, uh, I, I fear him. And which is ironic because he's so riddled with fears himself. But this, I am so fascinated by his whatever the next project is. This it's called Nymphomaniac, and uh, it's coming out uh, Christmas Day in Denmark, uh, December twenty fifth, two thousand thirteen. A self diagnosed nymphomaniac recounts her erotic experiences to the man who saved her after a beating. So, um, Lars von Trier get, is working out some issues that he appears to have uh, around sexuality and clearly with women. And as, I, I, as they are releasing trailers for this thing, they've been doing one a month over the last four months, and the, the most recent one is from Chapter 4 uh, of, of uh, it's called uh, from Nymphomaniac Appetizer, Chapter 4, Delirium. And uh, this is from the uh, Stellan Skarsgård chapter, as far as I, I gather. Uh, and they're just little shorts, like little, like 45 seconds of, you know, a, a piece of little clip of the, of the film. And I find myself really strangely moved by... Uh, the experience of watching these little chapters now. So we have four chapters out, and that that's going to be collectively my my trailer is the launch experience of Nymphomaniac because he is no matter. I mean, I like I said, I don't. I'm not a big fan. Uh, he, but I am I am wildly weirdly compelled to join the experience of his launch process. The people in this film, uh, the cast that he has managed to to cobble together for the film, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Stellan Skarsgård, Stacey Martin, Shia LaBeouf, Christian Slater, Jamie Bell, Uma Thurman, Willem Dafoe, Mia Goth, Sophie Kennedy-Clark, Connie Nielsen, Michael Paz, Jean-Marc Barr. I, I mean, it just goes on and on. Udo Kier. I mean, it's a it's a fascinating cast. The, uh, the poster artwork that they just launched, I think, uh, this week uh, is uh, all of these actors uh, with, uh, you know, e- either engaged in just a, it's like headshot portraits of them topless, them engaged in, uh, you know, orgasm as far as I gather, or, or just post. Uh, and there, it, it's some, ext- some very powerful uh, photography. And so that, that was what initially, uh, uh, sort of got me looking into uh, this film, and <laughs> I don't. I could talk some more. I think it's worth, uh, it's worth looking at if you're, uh, if you're a film snob. <laughs> you should check this out. You know, I hate Lars. I, I you don't. Mix and words. really, I, I'll be honest. I mean, it's an unfair comment to say I hate Lars von Trier. Uh, having seen so few of his films, but the films that I have seen of his, I hate more than most other films, and I just don't want to see anything else that he's done. (laughs) I will admit these are compelling little bits to watch. Uh, It doesn't make me want to watch 
the finished product. Um, but I just, I really just don't like his work <laughs> and I, I expect that I won't like these. The only strange thing is I, I can't tell from watching these if he's still following on that ridiculous dogma 95. Dogma thing. Ni- and yeah, he yeah. and all of his compadres came up with, it's just the most ridiculous rules that, you know, we have to make films and we have to follow all these rules to make it true where they weren't using lights and you couldn't put music in and just all yeah. these things. It's like, you know, you're not making a movie. You're, you're just making something well, this stupid. Is, that's what he said that, you know, a film should be, what did he, what was his line that, that, uh, it, the, a, a great film should feel like a stone in your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You go make those films, Lars, that's and what, I will make sure I don't watch them. That's right. That's what I've always said. A great film should feel like a hammer on your head. <laughs> uh so uh, that's uh i i i totally i get it i really do and but but again like you know even filmmakers that otherwise their work is is i find a little bit um you know off my taste i'm i sometimes i veer off the the popcorn path and and this is one that i'm finding myself interested in yeah, I I mean you're you're right. The little bits are interesting, and it would be interesting <laughs> to see how the story comes together. The interesting thing is that according to the credits, there's Nymphomaniac and the Nymphomaniac Part Two also in post production. So I don't know if these are coming out back to back or what. But uh, um, this one, I don't see any release dates on the second one. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, but he apparently it's there's enough. For two of them, yeah, but and and like both in 2013. Yeah, that's the that's the I I don't know. Do with that what you will. I'm just saying, it's an interesting launch uh, campaign, and I think it's worth paying attention to. That's my pitch. Now you c- bring your uh, bring <laughs> your softball. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Bring your bring your little Namby Pamby trailer after I bring you Von Trier. What do you got? I am talking about. So you know you say that it no, just, it, it because you said me. no because you said last week that we should only do romantic comedies, and this is what I bring. This is what you bring. That's awesome. I went with the new romantic comedy coming out next April, so it's a little ways away, but it looks very sweet. It's called A Case of You. Another Justin Long film. I just talked about a, a film with him a couple weeks ago. This is a new one that he's in um, with uh, Evan Rachel Wood, and they're the romantic, uh, the comedy couple in this. This is a story of a young writer who's trying to impress this girl that he meets online. He looks at all the things that she's kind of interested in, and then he kind of pretends that he's interested in all those things so that she'll kind of fall for him. And then, of course, she really does fall for him, and now he has to figure out how do I get out of this I've created this kind of fake persona. How do I let her know who I really am? It looks very sweet, and it's got an amazing cast. Speaking of uh, the cast in yours, this is just equally crazy. Aside from Justin Long and Evan Rachel Wood, you've got Peter Dinklage, who looks hilarious in the film. Oh. Brendan Fraser popping in as kind of a, a, a guitar coach. Sienna Miller, Vince Vaughn, Sam Rockwell, Busy Phillips, uh, and... The list goes on. Demosthenes Chrisan, <laughs> whoever that is, but his name is so fun to say. <laughs> Demosthenes Chrisan. Yes, he was in. Uh, yeah, he's in Damages, the TV show, and Third Rock. So there you go. 
So it, it looks very sweet. And in the spirit of the movie we're going to talk about tonight, I really latched onto this one because it is a story of a guy who is creating this fake persona of who he is in order to attract a girl. And it fit right in with everything else we were talking about. It sure does. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I think Justin Long is one of the, one of the, um, the funnier young actors uh, at work right now. I really, I, he's one of those interesting sort of compelling people to watch for me. And so I'm, I'm really glad you picked this one. It looks funny and awkward, and yet, um, you know, uh, it's got P- Peter Dinklage in it. Who, God, I mean, seriously. so good. It's so funny. It's so good. I just cannot wait. So, and then, and this, yeah. and this is directed by Kat Koiro, who is a, uh, a woman director. And it's great seeing more films w- from women directors out there. She's, uh, this is, I believe, her fourth feature. So she's kind of cranking these little, uh, these little films out. So that's good to see. It looks good. Wait, when did you say it comes out? Did you say already? Next, next April. Next April. So we got a ways. Yeah, we do have a little ways to wait, unfortunately. All right. And actually, it looks like that's at a festival. April 21st, 2000. Oh, no, I'm sorry. A- that, it played at Tribeca this year in April. So mm. I was looking at the wrong year. So I don't know when it's coming out, but it's coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> hey, you seen, did you see the, uh, speaking of brand new trailers, and I'm not going to like perseverate on it. Did you see the new 47 Ronin uh, trailer? I didn't. Ooh, looks crazy. Yeah. Check it. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's no, it's, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we, we, I think we, it's pretty clear what it's not. Uh, but man, did they dump a lot of special effects in this movie? Holy smokes. Just a whole well, bucket I, of effects. I am quite excited to see how it all comes together because the, the way that they're telling the tale feels very, uh, all of those effects feel like they're, not creating a fantasy world, but they're creating a real world that happens to have fant- fantastic elements in it. Right. Kind of like, you know, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. It has a very interesting, realistic tone. And so, right, quite excited. Right. Quite excited. Are you ready? I Are, are we going to rom-com it up? Let's you, know what's, you know what's really funny? Tell me. This is the third movie in a row where we've had a movie that has like an earworm song. I know. And it just keeps getting worse. I know. Are you ready? Shall we hear it? Look who's coming round the bend. <laughs> That's not even the song I was thinking of. <laughs> well, there's three. There's that. There's Killing Them Softly. And then uh, what was the other one? I was da, just thinking da, about da, 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 Come on, with oh, yeah. right. I, I mean, yeah. those, the badly drawn boy. Uh, so this is facto. Yeah, the badly yeah. drawn boy just crushed it with the soundtrack to this film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The good people should be able to listen to a little bit of this. Here it is, Hugh Grant, uh, about a boy. You're breaking up with me. You useless, self-centered, superficial loser. I like to think I was pretty cool. I didn't mean anything about anything to anyone. And I knew that guaranteed me 
a long, depression-free life. Universal Pictures and Studio Canal invite you to meet a man. How would you like to be Imogen's godfather? Who has devoted his entire life. You must be joking. I'll drop her on her head at her christening. If I get all her birthdays until her 18th, when I'll take her out and possibly, let's face it, you know, try and sleep with her. To himself. I, I just thought you had hidden depths. No, you've always had that wrong. I really am this shallow. I can't help you with anything that means anything. You could try. You will end up childless and alone. Well, fingers crossed, yeah. This isn't my problem. I'm not your family, mate. You don't give a damn about anybody, and nobody gives a damn about you. I'd like her to be my girlfriend. There, I've said it. Oh, brilliant. He fancied you. He told me. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I think your mum's keen on him. She's not keen on him! She's already keen on me! Was I frightened? I was petrified. So can I come in? Maybe. If there's hope for Will, there's hope for us all. About a boy. This was a uh, 2002, uh, what do we call this? They call this the uh, the comedy drama. They call it a comedy drama, but I have, like, even the directors talk about it as a romantic comedy. Yeah. So, uh, so it's interesting because fitting in with what we were talking about last week, this does kind of push the bounds as to what a romantic comedy is. This does feel comedy drama, maybe not quite so romantic comedy, but there's definitely romance in it. Well, it sure is, and I, you know, I feel like it's it's another one of those that takes the traditional relationship roles and it sort of turns them on their ear, and and it's a movie that comes at this angle uh, in a really risky way. I mean, it it really could have been just horrible. I mean, it could have been campy and saccharine and terrible, and uh, I I think much owed to. Um, uh, Nick Holt and and Hugh Grant, I I, I think it comes out uh, with some really unique performances and perspectives on adulthood and manhood and honor and parenthood uh, in a way that that um, it it adds an, another layer of substance above that or beyond that just sort of uh, rom com silliness. Yeah, it, it does take this uh, kind of a selfish, blank character and gives him this really, I mean, I find it just a really touching character arc as he kind of is forced into a position where he has to grow up and has to grow to this position where he confronts other people and he gets himself in a situation where he has to, you know, potentially embarrass himself in front of other people uh, for somebody else. And it really, it creates this just beautiful story about this man who has to change in order to become a really kind of a, an effective member of society. Exactly. So uh, how, where, would you, where would you like to start talking about uh, this film? Do you want to start with, with Hugh and Nicholas, or do you, want to, uh, do you want to come at it a different way here? Um, I, I guess we can kind of start just about the story and kind of what, uh, what it is. I mean, we're kind of talking about that already and then just bring them into it, but I, the, the, the story I think is one that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not terribly interested in, um, the, uh, well, at least I'm not terribly interested in the first, uh, the first part of it. It's not, it doesn't really grab me. Um, the, the open doesn't really grab me. We have this, uh, this, this introduction of Hugh Grant as, um, this sort of banal, uh, he's never worked a day in his life. He's just rich living off the royalties of this, you know, this earworm one hit wonder song that, that his dad 
had written uh, what what is what is it called, Andy? You've been singing it. The Santa's Super Slay. Santa's Super Slay, uh, and so you know we're we're introduced to this character who is who's giving us this sort of narration. Um, he he's monologuing about how you know he breaks up his day into into blocks and and you know he watches a lot of TV and well, it's so hard to be you know rich and idle. Uh, but it gets interesting so fast because we're introduced to, to Nicholas Holt's character, Marcus, and we realize that this film has a dual narrator. Yeah. Uh, and and that, uh, the, the perspective shift that we get between these two characters is really wonderful and gives it, a, 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 I think when it, when the sequences are paced right, it gives it such a wonderful, natural kind of emotional momentum uh, that is is moderately inconsistent. You know, I, I feel like it's it's uh, out of balance in favor of Hugh Grant. When when I really what I, I I want is actually more of of Marcus. But but generally that that ping pong that we get uh, back and forth between these two characters, I think, is just fantastic. Well, and it's I, I think. I haven't read the book by Nick Hornby, uh, and I don't know if he wrote it from their two perspectives. Um, I know he did. Juliet Naked, I just uh, read recently. That was, I think, one of his most recent novels. Um, And that one is kind of from three perspectives. So that's that's a very interesting story as you get these three different stories as they all weave together. I'd I'd be curious to read about a boy just to see if he does that through that book. But I, I find it so effective doing that. And it's hard and it's dangerous writing a script where, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's dangerous enough writing a script with one narrator because narration is one of those fine lines where you have to use it effectively. Um, otherwise, it can be uh, used as a tool to get you through situations without really doing the storytelling. And it it can be a dangerous tool for screenwriters to fall into, especially um, young screenwriters. And then jumping into doing a dual uh, uh, a dual voiceover, I mean that's a real challenge. And finding the way to balance that between two characters, especially the way that they use it with such great irony at times, and the comedy, and they just keep hitting all the right notes as you go from what one person says to hearing some. Uh, a great bit of voiceover in relation to that, whether it's from Will or Marcus, their two characters. And just the way it bounces back and forth between them all the way through the film, I think is truly some of the most effective uh, use of this dual voiceover. I mean, Scorsese did it wonderfully in Goodfellas. Um, I, I, I mean, I can't think of that many other films that have done a dual voiceover. It just seems like such a challenge to do. Well, yeah, I mean, to that point, you know, what I one of the things I love so much about it is that it gives us, um, I, I think what, in contrast to Scorsese and Goodfellas, I mean, what we have here with these two characters that are coming at life from, um, you know, such a wonderfully, you know, different kind of, kind of demographic stance, right? We have, yeah. the, we have the old guy with the mind of a child and the child who is the smartest uh, of all the adults in the film. Uh, right. and, and they're coming at their, you know, this, this is a film about finding emotional center that exists somewhere between the two. Uh, and, and what these characters learn from one another, what, what, you know, Marcus learns, um, from Hugh Grant's character, I think are, you know, to me, the most interesting lessons in, in the film, which is, you know, how to, 
how to be a kid uh, and and the you know how to find uh, how to take risks and find relationships and how to take your knocks and uh, you know that's the the segments where he's being bullied are are absolutely heartbreaking to me and I mean it took me right back to um, you know middle school high school where we, you know even though I was never one necessarily in those sort of bully relationships, uh, you know, I certainly know kids that, that, that were, and, uh, boy, it just, it it just plays really well in this film. It does. And I, you know, I find it interesting because Marcus is a really interesting character and his pattern of character growth over the course of the film isn't so much a character who we see who needs to grow like he's got a problem in his life and he's got to kind of grow and become the better man or something like that he's just a kid and he just needs kind of a father figure um, or somebody to kind of guide him along the way as to kind of this is how you make those sorts of decisions and I really like that the way that Marcus isn't really the one who's in need it really is Hugh Grant who's just the mess and he really needs Marcus to learn that he needs to um, you know it Yes, people can hurt you, but you do have to put yourself out there. And I love that it's actually Will who's got that much more um, uh, a large-scale character growth, whereas Marcus is growing as a person, growing as a child to an adult. But it's not so much that the, the you know, I, I have a problem in my life and, and I need to learn how to fix it sort of thing. And I find that so interesting because you could so easily take it where the kids got the problem and the, the adult needs to kind of help them you know, fix something in their life so that he can learn to date this girl. And what's great about when Marcus falls for this girl, it's just like the next step in his life. He's interested in the girl. He doesn't know how to talk to her. He just kind of spews it all out to Will and Will kind of gives him some tips just to kind of like, this is how you do it. This is why these things are important. And Marcus just goes along with it. And I love that about that character. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're, I I think you may be underplaying the relationship, sort of the, the role model advice that he's getting from, from Will, you know, I mean, I, I feel like that's, that's the gift they give one another, you know, that, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm underplaying it a little bit. I, I just don't mean that um, Marcus is, um, you know, he's got, you know, the the hole in his heart and or something. He's got this major problem in his life that needs repairing. I mean, that's Will. Marcus just needs a, a figure, and I, I, I say just, and I, you know, I don't mean to belittle what he needs because yeah, he really does. It. You've belittled it. That's because his mother, his mother is really a mess. But Mar- yeah, it's out there. <laughs> his mother's a mess. He does need that kind of father figure or somebody to really understand who he is and what he's going through in order to give him the advice that he really needs to to you know to get through it. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I'll I, I I get that, but I you know I just think that uh, you know one of the one of the reasons that the Marcus character is so powerful is because he you know he does have a problem, and I think one of the uh, you know what I what I like so much about the relationship between these two characters and the problems that they're each facing is that uh, or, or that uh, you know Will is is a grown he's an adult. And he has to learn how to to be a man, right? Yeah. And 
you know, in this case, we, we've got Marcus who, you know, goes to school and is tormented every day. And it is so easy to write off. And we see Will actively write off the problems that, that Marcus is going through until he has a really visceral kind of interaction with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we realize that to each of these characters, these, you know, these young men, right, their right, relative exactly. problems are giant in their own lives, right? I mean, yeah, when, he, right. when he shows up standing on his own doorstep in the rain after his sneakers had been stolen that he was so proud of, and, you, you know, the, the joy that he got out of parading those around and learning the walk and everything, right. you see that, that that was the devastating, the central devastating loss, even more so than his mother attempting to commit suicide. Yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, but it, in terms of his kind of reaction to it. Um, so that's that's what I'm saying. It's one of the things I really like about the film is that I feel like they attempted to balance the the worldview, uh, you know, even though it, to the point where you know it's sort of a lest we forget story. Don't don't forget just how big these issues were when we were 14. Right. And then yeah. you have Will, who is still 14. <laughs> right. <laughs> who has some growing to do of his own. He does. And, you know, at the cost of, of you know, of learning how to, uh, you know, fall in love and be vulnerable with a woman, he, you know, f- loves all the women. And that's his, that's, that's his M.O. And that's what we, you know, that's what we get out of him. And that's the, that's the comedy, not the romance. Right. Uh, and it does build to, I mean, there is some romance as he's finally growing at the end. And I, I really like that about him. I also really like Hugh Grant in this film. I, you know, I think up until this point, he had been much less, uh, maybe, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but he much less. He was yeah. soft around the he, edges. He, he, was, just he a... was, he was like a little, yeah, kind of, uh, he had the little more blinky, unsure about himself sort of character. Right, uh, four weddings and a funeral. Right, uh, those sorts of films. He just seemed a little kind of stumbling, bumbling, and trying to figure things out with those puppy dog eyes. And this, all of a sudden, seemed like now he's kind of this uh, much cooler than all of that, and just had this vibe about him that felt really real. And I really enjoy him in this film. And I think. If I had been paying attention, I could totally have caught that he was going to grow up to become the cannibal king. It was always there. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the true true. (laughs) Uh. So, no, but I mean, but I I do really enjoy him in this film. I think this is uh, possibly my favorite performance of Hugh Grant's. I I just feel like he really nailed everything about this character from the... uh, kind of the transparent uh, blankness that he has of just being cool and hip and kind of just floating through his his life through those moments of realization. And, I mean, just whether it's realizing, you know, um, how, how he kind of looks at that woman when she's breaking up with him and how he all of a sudden is now having to fake being hurt. <laughs> That's such a great moment to uh, you know just to the way that he tells the lies when he's at the at the single parents alone together meeting 
and uh, just uh, just to all the moments with with Marcus and the moments of honesty, realize the confession that he has when he's with uh, uh, Rachel, and he has to tell her that you know he is a blank, and it's I mean it's heartbreaking when he hits this point that he realizes exactly what he is and who he is, and then the way he builds to the end. I mean I really enjoy Hugh Grant in this film. I think that uh, it's really such a strong performance of his, and it's the I mean. I agree. Nick Nick Holt really is a, an equal part of this film for me, but Hugh Grant has always kind of sold me on the film. Well, I you know I think I come at it from a from sort of the opposite side. For me, you know, Nick Holt is why I show up, yeah. uh, and I was you know I, I I do my little kind of T chart, my pros and cons chart on this film, and and there are, obviously there are a lot of pros. Um, you know, I and Hugh Grant is actually on both lists. Hmm. Um. You know, he's a con because in the beginning of the film, like the entire kind of first part of the film, uh, it it's sort of before he even shows up. You know, it's like I, I don't get the feeling that he that he really showed up to play until um, uh, uh, until the the suicide attempt. I think it's it's sort of rebounding from that and trying to figure out, uh, you know, what it means to be vacant after that sort of a world changing experience and witnessing this kid, uh, you know, have that happen to his own mother and and having to be present and then try to go away and forget it. Uh, I I really. I really appreciated that part of his journey. Now, to your point uh, about Hugh Grant, uh, you know, just his role, uh, I really liked the Hugh Grant with the harder edge around him and, it, you know, a little bit more, um, uh, you know, he, he starts out so vacant that it makes me really appreciate when he is not vacant uh, toward the end of the film, when you really mm-hmm. see that there was some underlying substance in there all along. It's just, it just takes me a little while to warm up to him. And, and I, you know, I, I, um, you know, I just don't don't find him as present. Well, and that's you know perhaps I mean I I I enjoy him. I enjoy all that beginning stuff, but perhaps that is the nature of the screenplay, mm-hmm. and that's one of the challenges. That's like the whole save the cat thing. Yeah. It's it's more difficult to connect to a character at the beginning of the film when you really need to connect to them if they're if what if they're, they're doing likeable. is just not likable or you right. just don't connect with that and that i you know that's very possible um maybe i'm bringing the previous Hugh Grantness to the film so when i watch it i instantly already like him because he's Hugh Grant and even though he's just you know vapidly making espressos and getting his hair uh elegantly fluffled or whatever <laughs> it is that he's doing that was you know? brilliant yes <laughs> maybe i still am connecting to him because it's you know it's the englishman who went up the hill and came down the mountain mm-hmm. wow check you out <laughs> you snob <laughs> just throwing them all in there <laughs> oh man uh wow okay so um can i talk about something else i like yes and then i'm going to talk about something else i like <laughs> but maybe it's the same thing it's not well i this is i would like to note and i'm going to talk about this that i like later but i would like to note that the first thing that i am that i didn't say was oh my god i love rachel weiss still yeah. I didn't say that. Interesting. And that I think should demonstrate just how uh, just how many awesome things there are going on in this film besides right. Rachel Weisz. She is also awesome, but the thing I want to talk about right now is Tony Collette. That's what I wanted to talk about. Oh man. 
Okay. But you, 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 you go. I loved uh, what she brought to this film. Oh my goodness, I loved what she brought to this film. And uh, I loved that even though there was such weight and gravitas around the, the uh, emotional trauma of her, right? Her life that she was, yep. you know, she's introduced as, you know, his mom's off, you know, she's, she's a little off. And then we meet her and she's, you, you know, she's, got, you know, she's got vomit all over her and she's tried to commit suicide. And they don't, I mean, they, there's no lingering on that. That's just a moment. And they, they explore it as much as it needs to be explored without getting tied up in the fact that the story was not about her attempted at suicide. She, that massive, uh, earth-shaking ordeal uh, was it was not never once a distraction uh, to the story that we all showed up to see, right? Right. And right. I thought they handled that brilliantly, and she handled that brilliantly, not uh, with with just a great deal of restraint. Uh, and I, I think the the only thing that I found uh, difficult to to watch was her in the car. Uh, at the very, very end, as they were racing to the um, to the school uh, to rescue poor Marcus on stage, going on stage with a tambourine, and she did that that pivot where she realized uh, where she started crying and said she was a horrible mom, and I thought, okay, now now we've hit maudlin, you know, for the first time in the in the film, the entire film, and she has been just rock solid, and then that was the first time I thought, well, this is this is now horrible. Oh, see, interesting. I didn't think that. But maybe it's because immediately after she says that, he says, no, you're not. You're just a, you know, crazy idiot or whatever. And, you know. Yeah, he tosses I, that off well. Yeah, he, he does that so well all yeah. through the film. But, yeah, Tony Collette, I think the way that she performs this role, she brings things out um, in in a way where as awful as some of it is uh, and selfish, you know, committing attempting to commit suicide um and then having to you know basically deal with the repercussions that has with the relationship with her son you always still like her and you always still connect with her you don't ever you know find her horribly selfish you always still can find a way to connect to this person who's just struggling with her own life and trying to deal with all the things that she has going on she's kind of a wacky little hippie lady and i love that about her and i love how she turns her tears on and she just has these moments where she's just she breaks your heart because she's just really struggling with dealing with all of her own emotions and the things in her life and i i love the honesty that she has and this really tender relationship with her son. And as much as I want to vomit, just like her ex-husband does when she says things like, when I hear you sing, it just makes me, it makes my heart sore or whatever it is <laughs> when they're all at their Christmas meal. I mean, I'm just like, Bleh. you know, that's just like, oh man, it's <laughs> the sort of thing that if you're, you know, a mom might say it to you and you deal with it. But I don't think anyone really relishes when your mom says really right. super cheesy things like that to you. And just the reaction on the ex-husband's face is like, yeah, I, I feel your pain, buddy. Yeah, right. But she brings that out and she says it in the, in such a pure way where I, I totally buy it. And I totally can see how he would think that it's a good idea to go perform in front of everybody. And I love that he is not afraid. Like, he knows that it's a bad idea. I think that he knows, signing up, that this is going to be something where everyone's going to make fun of me. And 
they already all hate me, but I have to do this because it's for my mom. And I want to make her not cry all the time. I want to do something that is going to help her. And he puts himself in this horribly painful position because you can totally believe that Tony Collette, despite all of her flaws and despite all of the selfish things that she does as Fiona and the way that she uh, raises him to be more like her than letting him be himself, you still feel for him in that position and you want him to do that because you want her to be okay. Yeah. Oh, totally. I, you know, and she's, she is the, uh, you know, for so much of the film, she's sort of the peripheral heart, you know, she's like, yeah. we, we, she's, she is, she's what everybody's working for. Right. You know, and, and for Will, she's, he's working for her to be okay for Marcus and for Marcus, he's, you know, he's doing everything he can to try not to disappoint her. Uh, to, to watch Marcus, you know, as he's, as he screams out, to prevent him from mentioning anything about the suicide, and that that uh, is a, a particularly you know strong sequence for me. I thought wow, that was just really great, you know. Kawabunga! Yeah, Kawabunga is very touching. Uh, so I yeah I found that a, a very moving relationship. Shall we talk about Rachel? We should always talk about Rachel. Oh my goodness, Rachel! I know. She's so sweet, and yet in this film, not a lot there. Well, it, there's not a lot, but you there, know, I mean, it was not. I mean, you you talk the, about the you script. Mean, you there mean, was not. You mean not just, a lot written. Yeah, not a lot of written. I just, I you know, she was just she 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 was another of the the women. Well, you get that, but at the same time, I I feel like there is something about her character that before Will had met Marcus and started this relationship with the son. Uh, or with this young boy who is, you know, a, a son. I don't think he ever would have looked at her as somebody who he would have been interested in. I mean, maybe on that superficial level. But I think once he realized that she had a son and all of that sort of stuff, it, in his previous, you know, maybe pre-spat days, I think that he probably would have moved on and wouldn't have bothered with her. I think there was some growing in him to get to this point where he was he was uh, excited and willing to invest time in in going out with somebody who is a single mother uh, with kind of a crazy son and a little bit crazy herself. I mean, well, I shouldn't say crazy. She's definitely a mess. Her her apartment is just a complete mess. But I I enjoy that he connects to her at this point in the film. And I, I, I think she's in an interesting position in the script because I don't know if she's really given as much to do in the film because really her role in this film is to be the next step in Will's growth. Yes, yes, of course. And that's, you know, for her, I guess, uh, I mean, she does have some interesting character qualities, but really the focus is on make her as... Uh, likable as possible and an interesting connection for Will to fall for so that he can, uh, you know, have the, I guess, in going back to the kind of romantic comedy language, he has kind of the the uh, breakup with that character only to, and then he hits rock bottom only to finally end up with her at the end. Yeah. And, and you know, in that respect, I, I um, you know, I, I like it. I like her... Uh, in that role, and I, I wish there was more of her because I I know and really like 
Rachel Weisz as an actress, right? I mean, so so that's really the problem. Maybe this goes back to our age-old sort of casting discussion that she's she's almost too much of an actress for the role. Um, in in this role, like we want, I, I want more of that relationship. Now, on the other side of that argument, I love the fact that she wasn't right. I love yeah. the fact that 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 her character was not, and that their experience of trying to acclimate to one another ends up being really rocky, in the service of the relationship between Marcus, Marcus's mother, and Will. That's the that's the central relationship that we get to focus on, and and they again. Uh, Rachel's character does not become a distraction as the result of that. Right, right. Yeah, that was good too. She's, I, you know, it's hard to go wrong with her though. So I'm, to I'm happy wrong. to see her in anything. Yeah, really, true. <laughs> Even Oz. <laughs> as much as I don't want to ever watch that film again. Mm. Yeah, that was tough. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. All right, who else stands out to you? You know, that's mostly it, but I did just want to point out that uh, Ellie, the lovely kind of goth chick that Marcus falls for, is played by uh, Natalia Tena, Tena, I'm not sure how you say her last name, who uh, ended up as Nymphadora Tonks in the Harry Potter films, and of course now in Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones. Don't get me started. Which I still haven't seen. There are a couple of things you should not talk to me about this week. Uh, Breaking Bad, obviously, big yes. one. You should also not talk to me about Walking Dead, right? I uh, I'm watching. Back. I'm watching the third season right now. All right, so we could talk about that soon. Yes. Uh, big Sunday. Big Sunday. I know. Um, okay, so let's talk about the uh, let's talk about uh, the the uh, our, our friends uh, Paul and Chris White's. Yeah. Can we do that? The Whites Bros. They don't do Inter- that, right? What? Call themselves yeah, bros? The bros? They don't do that. That's not a I, thing. I don't know. You just gave them well, that thing. I, I did. I gave them that moniker. <laughs> What's interesting about them is they started as a pair, uh, as kind of a directing pair. Well, technically, I guess they started as a writing pair working way back on Ants and then the Fantasy Island TV series. And then they did American Pie together and Down to Earth together, and both as uh, um, directors. And from there, uh, and then they did About a Boy together as uh, co-directors. And then from that point forward, they both have continued their, uh, their directing careers, but separately. And they're still, like, producing for each other. But interesting, I, I just found it very interesting that these two guys decided to kind of make their own films, but still help each other, as opposed to the Coen brothers who we talked about recently, or other brother-director pairs who, um, who tend to always kind of stay together. I found it very interesting that these guys ended up um, just, I don't think it, you know, I can't, if they're producing each other's work, I don't think it's like bad blood or anything. It's just, they're just doing separate things. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think so. It's fu- it's funny. Chris White's um, uh, who you has, just you just I, that's what one I of his that's recent... one of the reasons I wanted I wanted to bring bring that up that I I just got through the the series because it was I think it was his his Twilight entry New Moon that I think was the stretch too yeah. uh, for me. But you know. Um, uh, but the Golden Compass was another favorite, I think, uh, around our house in terms of that sort of uh, adaptation of the of an uh, alternate uh, 
reality tale. I think that's a we're huge fans of the book, and I think the adaptation was good. It was just sort of under um, uh, it was underappreciated. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I figured. So I underappreciated it. You're sure. one of them. You're you're one of them. <laughs> I've uh, never read the book though, so maybe if I did, I would have enjoyed it more. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I don't didn't think like you. It. I don't think the book would have helped you. I I I quite like the book, but I think it's it it was you know anyway. Yeah. Uh, but and you then, know they and, did American Pie, right? Not yeah. any of the. I don't think they did any of the the sequels, but, no. but they did the original, the the classic. Yes. Uh, American Pie from 1999. Which, is still, I think, you know, uh, a great raunchy comedy. I think yeah. they did a great raunchy comedy. I they, quite enjoyed that film. Absolutely, it was very funny. And um, I do, you know, Chris directed A Better Life a couple years ago, yeah. which I think was one of the better films of that year. I really enjoyed that film. Um, and then, and then Paul has gone on to direct In Good Company, which. It was a fair to Midland film. It, you know, I think the trailer I enjoyed better than the movie, um, but Dennis Quaid is kind of on his, his comeback, and I, I did enjoy him uh, in that. And then he seems to have taken the direction of a little more of the, the kind of the comedy stylings of the two, whereas Chris seems to have gone a little more of the, the serious films. Yeah, serious and bigger yeah the, the Vampire's film. Assistant, the uh, uh, John C. Riley. Right, uh, a film, uh, Little Fockers, um, and then Admission with with Tina Fey that just came out earlier this year. Uh, yeah, and that was one that I I think I had had as a as a trailer pick. Um, uh, you know, I didn't see uh, Being Flynn. Did you see that one? I didn't either. I know it was based on. Um, wasn't it somebody's biography? Um, yes, uh, yeah. Nick Flynn. Nick Flynn. Yeah, which I I don't know a whole lot about the story, but. Um, uh, it it looked like an interesting film. I the trailer looked interesting. It, the just the reviews came in and and it just uh, really kind of bottomed out from their uh, from all the reviews and just I never saw it because of yeah, that. Yeah. Just, I don't think it even played here. Or if it did, it was in and gone. Well, so you know what's interesting about this this film is that I think you know we get some of the comedy stylings. We get a nice sort of it, it's the Oreo cookie of the two, right? I mean, it's yeah. it, it it really plays on these dual sensibilities, and I I don't think either one is is necessarily overwrought, uh, you know, in terms of consistency, continuity through emotional continuity throughout the film. It's a it's a really enjoyable um, viewing all the way through. Yeah, it is. I absolutely love this film. This is one of my favorite romantic comedies or comedic dramas or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's it's way up there on my personal list. I just I really love this film. I think these guys brought a lot of interesting pizzazz to it. They were talking about how in their previous two films, they didn't really play around with the camera a whole lot. They left the camera kind of um, be just a little more straightforward as far as the way they're telling their comedies. And you can tell they really loosened up in this film. They really... Uh, really played with the camera quite a bit and the way that they moved the camera and the way that they uh, weren't afraid to go upside down or inside a piece of paper or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they were doing. Mm-hmm. They really did a lot of uh, fun things. You know, I would argue some of them maybe don't feel quite as necessary. And um, I, as much as I enjoy really kind of that vibrant in-your-face camera style that like, you know somebody like uh, you know, we, we just talked about in the Cornetto trilogy, a really vibrant camera that Edgar Wright has. Um, th- they do that uh, quite a bit more in About a Boy than their previous films. And sometimes it doesn't feel as necessary. And I'm not quite sure if I buy into the reasoning behind 
um, what they what they chose to do. But I still really enjoy the way that things are moving in this. You know, I, for me, it's uh, I I I didn't necessarily find any of it unnecessary. Uh, but when it works for me, it really stands out. In particular, yeah. the way they um, they celebrate Will's materialism with the camera. I mean, they you can tell it's the it it is the camera that is helping us appreciate his materialism and the things in his house and the lattes and the shiny objects and curves and lines and the way we are uh, we are on the level with these devices on his countertop. It, it runs a little bit far afield when we when we start really celebrating just sort of architecture for the sake of architecture it's it's uh, like some of the um the more kind of off the wall um panic room camera work um and and less the the more interesting sort of using the camera to appreciate materialism that we see in fight club for example that uh, uh, or or American Psycho that I I deeply appreciate and so I I really liked it when it worked I didn't necessarily find it um, you know I didn't find it sort of jarring when it didn't work I just didn't notice it well I think for me the it all works really well in uh, you know I like the way that they do play with framing as far as you know there's a couple scenes where you've got this interesting way the camera moves I think it's when Will is on one of his early dates I think it's with Susie where the camera moves kind of behind the TV a little bit so it frames her out and it just leaves him sitting kind of by himself in this isolated you know frame and then you have the reverse of that later in the film where the camera starts with just Will behind the TV and then the camera moves from behind the TV to reveal Marcus sitting next to him. So it's just kind of, you know, a nice little way to show that his world is opening up a little bit. Right. I think the, the thing for me that always stands out is a little over the top is there um, uh, the shot of Marcus right before he goes to sign up on the, on the, for the, you know, the performance, the, the band performance thing where it starts upside down and as he as he walks down the hall and we see the whole thing kind of happening as the camera flips upside down and watches him as he walks down the hall you know i i i i guess they're you know trying to say you know he's everything in his world is turning upside down at this point but for me that's a little a little much i didn't necessarily need that <laughs> nor did i need immediately afterward where we jump inside the piece of paper and yeah. i like that they did that i like that they were feeling free to play around and do things i just felt like those were a little um so in your face obvious that i i didn't really understand why they needed to go that far at those particular moments yeah yep totally yeah. agree yeah I, I, but other yeah. But, it, but, but other it than that, I, yeah, at, yeah, at the hands works. of uh, what uh, the uh, Ramey Adafarison, yeah. yeah, who we um, you know who did Scoop yep. or two, another <laughs> two thousand six magician movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember that. What was the film that that Remy had done with us? And boy, that 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 was a race to the bottom. That <laughs> was. But he's done a lot of great stuff. He's, yeah. uh, I think he's a great a great cinematographer. Brings a lot to the film. And this is a great film, you know, speaking of everyone else involved, you know, the the production design of this film. I mean, you were talking about his apartment. I think that that stands out so much because they design it almost like he lives in this magazine. He lives lifestyle. in Ikea. Yeah, it's totally one of those those things. Like you would see his 
his apartment in one of these magazines as a spread. And I and love he the, would be the model in it. Yeah, exactly. Jim Clay does the production design, and I think he is spot on hitting that. And Joanna Johnston does the costume design, and there's such a great difference in the costumes between everything in Will's world and everything in Marcus's world. And I love the way that that plays. And there's an interesting moment in costume design that Joanna does when you have that rapid succession of shots of women uh, reacting to Will breaking up with them. Mm-hmm. And as as that scene progresses and you see all these women flashing by and the women get progressively angrier and angrier, their costumes get a little brighter and a little more uh, kind of, I don't say garish, but a little more in your face as that goes. So it's it's fun little ways that they're playing with all that sort of stuff. You know, I, I loved the... Um, Marcus, from a costume design perspective, plays a really interesting part. Um, Tony Collette is off the wall, you know, when she when she yeah. shows up dressed like a yeti, you know. I think that that <laughs> that exchange is really wonderful. That's absolutely, you perfect. know, it's really perfect. And you know, she's usually she's wearing these crazy sort of army uh, kind of Arctic army jackets, you know. That <laughs> she just is. She that's her thing. Uh, and then we have um, you know we have Marcus who goes to the school with the where there's a uniform code, and yet he. You know, he is wearing these like knit overcoats, you know, <laughs> these sort of pattern, wild patterns and scarves. And I think as a result of his relationship with, uh, you know, again, we're looking at this sort of role model relationship uh, as a result of his relationship with uh, with Will uh, and his increasing comfort over time at school. Uh, you know, when he gets his CD player, he starts listening to rap and his you, you watch his costume or his uh, costume design changes over time. Just little tiny pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and you see him um, sort of welcomed through fashion to this other world, right? Uh, which I think is a really—I I mean, it's one of those more subtle sort of experiences. Yeah, it it is, and it's it's really nice. And you know, we don't uh, talk about costume design that often, but when you see it working in in great subtle ways like that, I mean, it's just as effective as watching a great subtle performance. It really is, and it's it's as important in a film. Absolutely. So, all right. Let's. Uh, what, what do you have? Any other things on your list? Uh, well, I, I think do. it's important to note that. Uh, well, Nick Hornby wrote the the book that this is based on. He's written some great novels that uh, some other films have been made of, uh, notably High Fidelity and Fever Pitch. Now, Fever Pitch was actually made twice. I never saw the original British version of the film that uh, was made in '97, but. I do quite enjoy High Fidelity and the uh, Farrelly Brothers, another director, uh, dual brother um, pairing of the 2005 version of Fever Pitch. I like that um, quite a bit. And uh, and I love the book Juliet Naked. I thought it was such a great book, and I'd love to see somebody actually make that. Um, and I didn't know this, but did you know that About a Boy is becoming a TV series that's going to be coming out sometime this later this year or next year i you know i did as a result of doing this of having this conversation and what i thought was most interesting about it is mini driver is going to be playing fiona i know she just doesn't quite seem the fiona type i'm not uh, sure i get that but uh, uh, i'll be interested to see what they do with it Yes, it, you know it was you know produced by Robert De Niro, who's also you know this was a, a part of his 
uh, Tribeca Productions. Yeah, Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal. And this Jane was Rosenthal, one of their films. But, right. but the TV series also adds John Favreau uh, as an executive producer on this film. What? Wow. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, it looks it looks interesting. It looks interesting. Yeah, I haven't I'm seen any. Did you see, see? Did you stumble on any clips or anything like that? I, I uh, no, I'm it. I'm looking at their website. They have some photos from uh, from yeah. the production. It looks like uh, Mini Driver as Fiona is a little more kind of a, a yoga guru type of right. person rather than co- quite the uh, quite the hippie that we have um, in Tony Collette's version. Right, right. But um, yeah. Uh, yes, so TV show, so it's coming. How did? And then, I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and then they co-wrote the script for this. The uh, the Weiss brothers co-wrote this script with Peter Hedges, and uh, who's you know written some other great films like Pieces of April, which I absolutely loved. Came out the year after this, and uh, they uh, they were nominated for an Oscar. So this was the that was the one nomination that this film got was uh, for best adapted screenplay. At it it, uh, it it won uh, Hugh Grant a lot of British awards, yeah, and most of them were just for being British. <laughs> like best British actor, best dressed British man. It's Hugh Grant, and he's British. <laughs> you win. Are you Hugh Grant? You're a winner. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it was. I I think it, in that regard, it was also. Uh, it, it was. Um, undervalued yeah would you say that this was a breakout film for uh nicholas holt it you know i have been thinking about that very thing right because i uh you know i i i want to believe that and yet when i went back to watch this film and started looking into nicholas holt i realized i had no clue that this was the same nicholas holt that played hank the beast in in uh, x uh, <laughs> x men right. first class or uh the uh, zombie in warm bodies or you know i mean the the number of films or that jack he's been the in, giant slayer or right, jack yeah. the giant slayer and in fact i didn't make the connection that that was the same guy that jack the giant slayer was in those other two movies like i had no <laughs> connection that that's the same actor at all I, he was just not one of those names that i'd connected and now it makes absolute and total sense to me but i just was not uh i was not attuned uh to it so i don't know is, is this a breakout film if you can't actually if he was very successful and yeah you can't remember that it's the same guy well it's i yeah it's hard to say i mean he certainly his it wasn't like his first project or anything he had done a lot of uh very small films right. and a lot of tv series all the way up to this point. And then from here, he went on to do some other films, you know, and other TV series. Um, the next film I remember him in was A Single Man, which I uh, enjoyed quite a bit. And then, uh, yeah, and then X-Men and Clash of the Titans, uh, Warm Bodies, Jack the Giant Slayer. So it seems like, I, I don't know if I'd call it a, the breakout film for him, but it certainly was, a, I think, a good step for him. Yeah, I, I, that's probably a better way to put it. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, he, this was this was a defining role, I think, for him as an actor, as a particularly as a young actor. Yeah. Um, and and it, you know, it, it to me, it just really should be remembered as as that first and foremost. But you know, lucky for him that it also inspired, you know, people to note his 
prowess as an actor. Yes, absolutely. Okay, how did do? How the film do? Let's talk some numbers. You know, it it did really well for itself. I mean, this was a this actually opened, I think, the same weekend as uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. So it obviously had some tough uh, competition, although a completely different genre. Um, the budget for this was $30 million plus an additional $17 million for prints and advertising. So all told, it was about $47 million budget on this film. And this was $2,002. So uh, adjusted, that's about $60 million budget. It made domestically about 40, oh, $41 million and internationally almost $90 million. So it made quite a bit of money. Total gross was about 130.5 million, and so when you adjust the um, adjusted profit per finished minute, it made a million dollars per finished minute. So where does that put it? That puts it on our list at number 26. Smack dab. This is the adjusted for inflation list. It smack dab between all the president's men and up in the air. Well, that's not bad company. No, good company. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, shall we rank it? Let's rank it. I'm excited about this because you last week I said that uh, I was not like I, that. I thought we may have opened uh, a, little, <laughs> a little high with 500 Days of Summer. Yes, and you said oh, I don't know about that. You got that's all right. sm- murky. Well, that's because I knew this one was coming. And this is one of my favorite romantic comedies. Is this more of a favorite? Is that what you're saying? This is more of a favorite than 500 Days of Summer? Because let's just start. What? Yes, it is. Shock and awe. The the journey with these characters, I just absolutely love. Let's do it. Yeah, let's see where this one ends up. All right. (laughs) About a boy or thank you for smoking. I'm about a boy. I am all about about a boy. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll be about a boy, too. <laughs> about a boy or when Harry met Sally. Oh, I'll be about a boy on that. There you go. About a boy. Oh, wow. Jumping right up to the tough ones. About a boy or all the president's men. All the president's men. You kind of have to go all the president's men on that one. About a boy or being John Malkovich. About, about a boy. I'm about a boy. About a boy or the prestige? I am still about a boy. <laughs> See, I think. Uh, wow. <laughs> what won last week? Like, did we do, did we nail the prestige against Five Hundred Days of Summer? I can't remember if those two ended up coming up against one another. I do love the prestige. I do so love it. It's the emotional journey in About a Boy that gets me every time. And the comedy, I laugh so hard at just everything that they're saying in this film. I, I am totally an About a Boy fan. All right. I, I'll give you that. I, you know, I'll give you that mostly for Nick Holt. How about that? All right. All right. That's how I would justify myself. About a Boy or The Treasure of the Sierra Madre? Ha. Ha ha, sir. <laughs> I would put about a boy on first. What? What? I, I know. I know. I love the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Don't get me wrong. I don't I don't know. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. 
I at least wanted there to no, be they're, some pain. They're really, they're really close together. They're really close. Crying out loud. Little bit promiscuous with our votes, I think, is all I'm saying. Uh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Man. I have to, like, I just have to sort through it, my feelings a little bit. <laughs> Where is it? Where does that? Where is that? Because if it's already, if we, if we're, we're not. I know it. We're, we're not, not in the top ten, to, right? No, we're not Dude. in the top ten. Sierra Madre is is I think in the. It's in our second ten, right? It's number right. Treasure of the Sierra Madre is sixteen. Okay. I I'm kind of I feel like I I. Uh, You're gonna stand up for Sierra Madre. I want you? to. No one else is. I'll go with Sierra Madre because it is a classic. I will give you that. Oh, there you go. Number 18. Number 18. Yeah, it didn't put us up against the thing, which is number 17. That's interesting. That is actually so very these interesting. Little, these little flick chart things sometimes. Yeah, right? The algorithms, but... Well, to, so, me, to me, that feels really good. I know, I know that probably hurts you a little bit, but that feels really good. I, I It's... Um, well, I know it's probably it's l- probably lower on my list than I'd like it to be, but it's probably higher on your list. Yeah, than yeah. Then I, well, it's certainly higher than I expected, but I don't feel I'm, I don't feel like you know jaded and shunned by that. Okay. Okay, that was good. It's a great movie. I so, love it. So now we've now we clearly have peaked in our romantic comedy. Where could we possibly go from here? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I this next one I really love. I don't think that it's going to top either of those other two films, but I do really enjoy it. We're going to watch Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Yeah. I look forward to this one. I uh but mostly it just I I I sort of just want to get to the other side of it. You don't like it? No, I love it, but I'm really I'm I'm I feel like we're having a rom-com smackdown with our last two movies in this series, and I can't <laughs> wait to hear you tied in freaking knots. I I know that they're going to to bother you. When we get to the other side of Nick and Nora? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Nick and Nora is good. I'm excited about that. That's good. It's you, going to be you a just, good conversation. You just want to, you want to see the big wrestling match going I on with a, the other two. Uh, it's a wrestling match with the other two, and mostly it's Andy on Andy. <laughs> I don't Action. know if I would say that. I don't know if I would say that. Really? No. All right. Well, this is good. So. This will be. This will be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, this was a lot of fun. So Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist next week. We need people to go to uh, iTunes and help us out with some nice reviews and lots of stars, and um, and help us spread the word a little bit uh, about this. This is show one hundred and three. Wow. What's up with that? Keep them coming. It's crazy. Yeah, and we are we're heavy in the middle. Do we want to say anything about our uh, our 2014 planning? We're right uh, in the, the middle of planning, and we would uh, don't we aren't, aren't we looking for some the, feedback? We are. We'd we love some feedback from people. Yeah, we do. We we do need to post some more about that. We absolutely want to know what uh, what series you guys think would be interesting. We've had a few people throw some ideas out to us on Facebook, and we're definitely taking those into consideration as we try to construct the, uh, the conversations that we're going to be having in 2014. So definitely, if you have some ideas, send us a note, shoot us an email, leave us a note on Facebook, whatever. Just let us know so that we can uh, throw it in the mix. 2014. I, I, am, I am amazed as we, I mean, we're getting down to the last, you know, Goodness, what is that? Ten weeks? 
something like something is it like yeah, that, 10 yeah. it is about 10 weeks to yeah. one, to one, 104 to 115 so like 11 yeah. weeks yeah and uh I'm, I'm just amazed at how short the years are when you are looking at them 52 weeks at a time yeah they are so these things go so fast long days, yeah, long days. short years all right i have nothing else you have anything else you want to talk to the people about I am spent. Me too. Good night, Andrew. I'm, I'm going to go think about seeing gravity. <laughs> go, go think about it. And then go, let's see what bad series can you watch instead. <laughs> How about the Critters series? Why don't you go watch <laughs> the whole Critters? Well, I did Anthology. see some, I saw some ha- Halloween things. Great Halloween costumes. You should dress your kids up. And I think my son actually... Uh, would make a fantastic Chucky. <laughs> and so that was sort of inspired to see the Chucky films. Oh, that's awesome. So we'll see. We'll see what comes up next week. All right. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> night. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.